Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. And some may say that we are just mildly entertaining. I say we are exactly where we are supposed to be in this one of the busiest seasons in all the calendar. The crossover is upon us. College football, the NFL reigning supreme, but we have our eye turned to college basketball. This week on episode 106 of the Keeper of the Games podcast, the only podcast focused on sports in and around and of interest to Wichita, Kansas, with Blake Cripps, me, your host, along with Tommy Caster. And you can join us each and every week on CogPod on Twitter, K-O-G-P-O-D, the video and audio, both available, facebook.com slash keeper of the games, cogsports.com is our website, the audio drops first on cogpod.podomatic.com, the video is on YouTube, and our audio is pretty much everywhere, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, so many other platforms that you can get the podcast on, appreciate if you like, share, and subscribe the show, we really appreciate your support. Tommy, uh, I have been, it's felt like I've almost been drowning here this week, just trying to get everything in, Uh, but I have surfaced for the show today and and there's a ton to get to. I was a little bit worried about you for a second. Uh, (laughs) Sounds like you've got a lot going on. Uh, It's a busy time. Um, You know, with you too, you got, you got hockey coming up. Yeah. Well, hockey started already. Yeah. It's already here. Yeah, so we're it's here. We're in the swing of it. Uh, but you've got volleyball, and then you've got basketball, and uh, there's just a lot going on for both of us in the sports world. Yeah, I, I didn't even mention hockey in the opening, but yeah, Wichita yeah. Thunder are underway now, so there is a ton going on and a lot to divide our attention. But our attention this week will be on just two things, basketball and football. We are going to start with football, and we will do all three of the teams that we care about. Not that there aren't that deserve recognition, more that deserve recognition, but of course we're talking KU, Kansas State, and the Chiefs. And we will start with the Jayhawks, who fall out of the top 25 after back-to-back losses to TCU and Oklahoma, a 52-42 loss to the Oklahoma Sooners a couple of weeks ago in a game in which Jason Bean Played pretty well, 16 for 27, 265, four touchdowns, two picks, running 35 times for 165 yards and two touchdowns as a team. Devin Neal was great on the ground, but Oklahoma in that game, 57 rushes for 298 yards, five touchdowns. Dylan Gabriel threw for over 400 with two scores. Mims and Willis for the second straight game. The Jayhawks gave up a 100-yard receiver. In this case, they gave up two of them. Eric Gray ran 20 times for 176 yards and two scores. Last week, the Jayhawks dig a 28-3 hole against Baylor, and they about climbed out of it. They needed a shutout in the second half. They did not get it. A 35-23 loss to Baylor. A weird game in which KU was completely outclassed in every way in the first half and then shut out Baylor until the last three minutes and the offense got the Jayhawks back into this game. Tommy, your thoughts on KU now in the midst of a three-game losing streak and a little bit of pressure. I know that we've talked, you've talked a lot about, well, if KU loses the rest of their games, mainly the question asked by your co-host on uh, Sports Daily on KFH here in Wichita. But even though I don't think that the guys 
are necessarily feeling the pressure of the losing streak because that's just not the state of program that KU is currently in. I do think that there is a little bit of pressure now, like, okay, let's just make sure we get bowl eligible. Let's just make sure we get that sixth win so that we can really celebrate, earn that extra practice time that we can hopefully parlay into an even more successful next year in 2023. And then, you know, they've been close. These games have all been decided by 12 points or less, but a three-game losing streak is still a little bit disappointing after you start the season 5-0. and Where do you think these Jayhawks are right now as they head into a bye week and a very tough customer coming out of it here in a couple of weeks in Oklahoma State? Well, the bye week couldn't come at a better time for Kansas than it has. They've got an opportunity to get a little bit healthier. They've got an opportunity to take a breather and adjust a little bit coming off this three-game losing streak. And there's not a person inside that program or a fan of the program that doesn't feel a little bit of pressure or even a lot of pressure if you're inside the program to get to that sixth win because of what that will overall do to the, 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 the uh, university in the program. Uh, it's been what 13 years, 2008 was the last time uh, that the Jayhawks went to a bowl game. So yeah, there's absolutely pressure there, but you know what the expectations I feel like appropriately. So shifted some, when the Jayhawks started the season five and zero, of course. And keep in mind, keep in mind, Vegas had the Jayhawks at an over under of two and a half wins, and they started off so five mad. And I didn't get on that. I would <laughs> they, have they, they right yeah <laughs> railed that they, they doubled that that win total. Um, so naturally, expectations are going to shift. You get into the top twenty five, you announce a new stadium deal, um, and then of course, college game day comes to town. You drop a game in which Jalen Daniels get in, gets injured against TCU. That you were in that game in the second half, and a couple of you know a couple of mistakes away from winning that game against the Horned Frogs, and then you know you mentioned the Oklahoma and Baylor games. They've, they've been close without a doubt, but you're still stuck at five wins with four games to go and arguably the most difficult stretch of the schedule for the Jayhawks. They've got Oklahoma State after the bye. They take on Texas Tech and wacky things happen with Texas Tech. <laughs> yeah. Then we play the Longhorns. And of course, the Jayhawks beat the Longhorns last wacky year. Wacky so things happen you, with you Texas never know. too. And then a really good Kansas State team in the Sunflower Showdown in Manhattan. So it's going to be tough sledding for the Jayhawks over the next four weeks. But I also think, and you think of all the added benefits that come out of a a bowl-eligible team. The added revenue, the added exposure, the added media attention. Uh, You get an opportunity to be able to tell recruits that we're a bowl team. I mean, that's a big deal. Um, There's a lot of money and a lot of uh, future uh, trajectory kind of tied to bowl eligibility. So that's huge. But two weeks after you and I had this conversation last, I'm doubling down on it. And I still think that it's okay for expectations to shift back the other direction. Like for fans to understand that Kansas, yeah, while they had a great start to the season, they started five and zero. they're still in the middle of a rebuild. And, you know, and, and kind and really that rebuild is pretty much on track at this point. Even I would say ahead of three schedule. Right so exactly. So I feel like even if the Jayhawks drop the final four games and I'm I'm not sold that they will. I think they've, Me got, neither. A, I think they've got an opportunity to, to get another one and get bull eligible. But even if they don't, 
I think the, the program is still on solid footing. Sure, there'll be a twinge of disappointment, but ultimately I think it's okay for those expectations to shift back. Uh, you know, I, I never thought that I would be, at this point in the year, disappointed that KU was not going to be playing in December or January. That's kind of where I feel. I find myself now. Yeah. I'm thinking, man, God, won't it be great to like go home over Christmas vacation and be like, hey, you know what? Um, we're going to need to eat dinner in the family room tonight. We're watching the KU football game. How awesome yeah. would that be? Um, and, and there is still a real opportunity. I, you know, you mentioned those, I think Texas Tech and Texas are the two games that KU has probably the best chance to win just because, let's face it, the Texas Longhorns are soft in Lawrence in November. They always have been. They probably always will be. I'm sure they'll have even nicer heated benches to bring up this time so that the guys don't get cold or have their little jackets and their little heaters on the side, little, little hand warmers from their mom and dad, and it'll be great, and they'll look you know, annoying in the burnt orange and whatever. But you know, I think KU can beat Texas Tech. They have been in every single game. The thing that I really have liked about this team, because, man, was I ready to come on here after the first half against Baylor and say, can we do something about the defense? But look at the second half. They hold Baylor down. Even though Baylor did get yardage against KU, showed a little resilience. KU was totally inept offensively in the first half. Jason Bean turns things around. They're not really explosive, but they just gradually chip away. And there's just a, a sense of belief with this team that, you know what? Just be, because you know as well as I do that last year's team or a David Beatty team or a Charlie Weiss team, if it's 28 to 3 at the half, that game is going on 56 to 3 in the third quarter. But that didn't happen, and I expected it to happen. I 100% expected, you know what? This is the game when we're going to get blown out. That probably was going to happen, that we're going to get blown out once this year. I still think it's likely to happen probably most likely to happen against Oklahoma State or Kansas State, where KU is just going to get throttled, going to get beaten by 20 or 25 points, just the way it is. But this KU team against Baylor said, you know, we're still in this. We have a leader that believes in us. We have a program and a system and a family that believes in us, and we believe in ourselves, most importantly. So I thought, that, you know, there are things that we can get into. The rushing game was so much worse last week against Baylor. I thought that was disappointing. It's kind of disappeared without Highshaw, 22 for 56 last week. They only averaged three yards a carry. But the thing that I took away is that this team went into the half down 28 to three, I guarantee you not a single person on the planet, maybe the people inside the locker room, but nobody outside the locker room thought that KU was going to be in the fourth quarter and down by a score. Not a single person on planet earth and probably not in heaven or hell either. Okay. So, and the fact that they were able to do that to me speaks volumes about where this program is, how far it has come in a short time and the leadership ability of Lance Leopold and his entire coaching staff and the players who have obviously bought in. That game was very dangerously close, at least for me to getting into that range of let's see what else is on TV. Um, <laughs> it, it got that way at about halftime. I'm like, like Man, this, this is not away. going, this is not trending well yeah, as the I kids don't say. Want to turn away. But I think it's that little bit of PTSD from fans of the program for so long. <laughs> like that we've seen, we've seen this movie play out sure. before this, you know, this team does not come back. It's just not no. the way that it works. 
And they did, and they, they stuck with it. And um, yeah, that's a testament to the culture. I thought it was really telling. Lance Leipold at his weekly presser, uh, he actually had it on Monday this week, um, was quoted as saying something to the effect of, a year ago, the Jayhawks lost by 12 to Oklahoma, and people stood up and clapped. This year, the Jayhawks lose to 12 by Baylor, and fans are frustrated with the loss. And in his mind, that means the program is moving in the right direction. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I, I love that statement from the head hawk because that shows that it's not getting complacent. You're not content with losing by 12 and not content with fans standing up and clapping and saying, well, you only lost by 12. Well, you know, way to go. Now it's you lost by 12. What do we need to fix so we can win by 12 the next time? Um, that I mean, that's really ultimately the direction of this program. And so I love that accountability from Lance Leipold. And I love the tenacity of the team. You talked about the defense quite a bit. And I think we, we can call it for what it is. I think we can be brutally honest. When we look at the Kansas defense, they're not good. They're not a good defensive no. unit. They're not yet. Real bad. They, they, they could be, you know, in next year. They played year well that, against, like, again, against Baylor. Three points but, in the second half. That's but, it. But they're not. But here they're not consistently good. No, they're not going to play from from kickoff to the the final whistle strong for an entire I think sixty that minutes. Brian, on your show, you had him on. It wasn't this week, but I think it was a couple weeks ago. I think that Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, I think that he actually said it best. This right now is a playmaking defense. 100%. It is a defense a, that can make yep. plays. Can make it is an sacks. opportunistic. It's an yes. opportunistic creating defense. turnovers, but in and terms of lockdown, yep. it's not doing it from series to series. Absolutely, you know. So Craig Young and Mello Dotson had interceptions. Jeremy Robinson had the fumble, the force of the fumble, the fumble recovery, and was tackled at like what the five yard line to kick off the second half. Oh, that, that was, was an amazing play. Point. That was great. That's what I mean. The Jayhawks it shifted have the to momentum re- in the game. Probably one hundred percent. The Jayhawks have to rely on takeaways. They have to defensively because that's the only way that the defense can can keep the the team in the game because they're not a lockdown defense. They're just not. And especially when you lose a ball hawk like Jacoby Bryant and you know hopefully yeah. he's back in, in in short order, but they absolutely have to prioritize the takeaways if they want to be effective uh, against any of the four remaining opponents on their schedule without a doubt. Offensively, I'm with you. The running game, they've got to get that figured out a little bit. Of course, they they lose the um, the explosiveness of Daniel Hyshaw, who's done for the season, but they got to figure that out with Devin Neal, who's looked good at times throughout this season. Savion Morrison and Kai Thompson have looked, or Thompson, Thomas has looked good too, but the biggest, um, the biggest Achilles heel right now offensively, and I, I mean this with all due respect, is Jason Bean. Jason Bean has looked good. Jason Bean has made some good throws, has thrown for some yardage and some touchdowns. I have a hard time believing that the Jayhawks are going to be able to get any one of these four victories in the next four games unless Jalen Daniels is playing. And that's just kind of where I'm at right now. Um, I, I feel like Bean has filled in admirably, but the the X factor that Jalen Daniels brings, the elusiveness and the quickness, and, and yeah, Jason Bean is fast, but the way that Jalen Daniels is able to, his decision-making on, you know, design carries or finding the open receiver, it's, it's second to none. So they've got, without a doubt, the best shot to win one of these four games coming up if Jalen Daniels is under center. 
Well, you mentioned the fact that the Jayhawks are on a bye, so this is a great time for him to get back. Of course, Daniels did practice some, but obviously did not play, so he did get out at practice. That was great to see. Certainly, they'll be getting him in full rest mode this week. The Jayhawks hosting Oklahoma State on November 5th. No television, no kickoff set because we're in the modern era of football and we don't get those before the season starts, obviously. We don't get them before the week of the of the game these days. Um, uh, you mentioned Jacoby Bryant. We don't know his status. Highshaw is out. So obviously for KU, uh, getting healthy going to be a big, big part of this week. Anything else on KU Oklahoma State before we move on to Kansas State, who will be playing Oklahoma State this weekend? Yeah, Oklahoma State, you know, they, they struggle defensively. They can put up a lot of points, but uh, they give up a lot of points too. And so I think that's going to be essential for Kansas to try to exploit that. They got to get the run game going, um, you know, especially um, in the event that, that Jalen Daniels does not play. I think he probably will. I think he'll be healthy enough to go. At least I'd like to think he will be. But if he's not, they've got to rely on Devin Neal and the other backs to get the job done. That's where Oklahoma State can be vulnerable. They've given up a ton of yardage uh, in their their previous game. So that's going to be big for them. Um, absolutely. So I, I look for that to be a key for Kansas after the bye week is done. I was making a little note here. Tommy says, pick the over KU Oklahoma State. <laughs> Got it. Hey, uh, I mean, look, look at look at the, uh, the last game that, well, I guess it was two weeks ago when Oklahoma State played TCU. And there were a lot of points that were put up in the Oklahoma State-Texas game last weekend. Yes. But that double, I think it was a double overtime. I want to say it was like 43-40 or 43-42. Or quite a few points. There was a lot of points. Quite a, quite a few points there. Oklahoma State can put up the points, but they can also give it up. Okay, KU, absolutely the same way, and we'll get a good look at Oklahoma State after this weekend. The Kansas State Wildcats back in action 2.30 p.m. on Fox at Bill Snyder Family Stadium as the Wildcats no longer in control of their Big 12 destiny. Number 17, Cats falling at number 8, TCU, 38-28 last week coming off of their bye. Kansas State blows a 28-17 halftime lead after a 21-point Third quarter, uh, 21 point second quarter, but they were shut out 21 nothing in the second half in a game where Kansas State played three quarterbacks, and it seemed like about a third of the Wildcats starters were out defensively in this game. But man, Tommy, this is another one I think that Kansas State fans are going to look back on. You look back on Texas A&M. I mean, nothing will be as painful as that. But Texas A&M in the Big 12 championship, Baylor in the Colin Klein year, and I think this game might be there as well. Wildcats had their moments, they had their chances, but it just wasn't enough as Adrian Martinez went down with a what they're calling a lower body injury. This is where I hate what HIPAA does because now we're using hockey terms. We have no idea what the injury is, but it's a lower body injury. Wichita Thunder fans will enjoy what that means. Um, will Howard comes in and at times looks very competent, 13 for 20, two touchdowns, 225 yards, but an interception. The Kansas State Wildcats got the running game going again, but Max Duggan proved to be too much, 17 for 26, 280 yards, three touchdowns. Kendry Miller, 29 rushes, 153 yards, and two scores was the backbreaker. And I look back, Tommy, in this game, third and 17 in the third quarter, TCU converts on this little, it was like a Mark Mangino special on this little shovel pass, and they end up getting the first down. They score in that possession to make it 28-24, to couple of picks, and two very big missed field goals by Chris Tennant. And you do all those things, 
I think that this Kansas State team went healthy, and I think the Kansas State team that played last week is good enough to win at TCU, but they're not good enough to win when you make those mistakes and you allow a team like TCU to have to, to make those kind of conversions and you miss field goals. That's what gets you beat on the road. First off, TCU, I would love to see them at some point play a team that has their starting quarterback for the entire game. Um, because it happened with K-State last week. It happened with Kansas and Jalen Daniels. It happened with Oklahoma and Dylan Gabriel. I'm pretty sure it happened with Oklahoma State and Spencer Sanders. Like wow. they, I feel like their last four games, here. they've knocked the, the starting quarterback out of the game midway through. Um, and, and in the event, in, in what happened with Kansas State, you know, unfortunate that Adrian Martinez... Um, was knocked out after one drive. And and that's not the way that you want to start the game for no. sure. But I'm with you. Will Howard came in, and he's used to this, right? Will Howard's a veteran in that program. He's been around for a long time, and he is skilled at coming in relief for the starting quarterback. He did it several times for Skylar Thompson over the course of Thompson's tenure at Kansas State, and now he's doing it for Adrian Martinez. He looked good. Uh, He showed flashes as to why the Wildcats, I think, were content with him being the starting quarterback before they landed Adrian Martinez in the transfer portal during the offseason. So he looked good at times, but then he got banged up too, and then comes Jake Rubley, who has a ton of upside, uh, but... Really, I think the moment was too big for him. And not ready for prime time yet. Was not ready for prime time at all. And then Howard came back in to finish the game. Um, you know, you mentioned the mistakes, uh, especially on special teams. Yeah, the, the missed field goals were crucial. I'm willing to excuse a lot of those mistakes for Kansas State because of how injured they were. Because it wasn't just at the quarterback position. Deuce Vaughn was and has been hobbled, but was hobbled even more so um, against TCU. He played and pretty well. He did play pretty well. But 12 for 83. He was limping off the field and things like that. Um, and then, you know, there were there were major defensive, like, key players. Um, what's the guy's name? Ezekwe Udama or whatever his name is. Yes. Uh, he was banged up in that game. Um and, and so they, they had several key pieces that were injured, and that's not ideal when you're playing a top 10 team in TCU. So yes, you you compound mistakes. You have to, you the margin of error is so small when you're playing a team as good as as TCU is. But then you add the injuries on top of it, and it becomes really really difficult. And you credit to TCU's defense some because they I feel like they made some adjustments at halftime. And really, they did. That, I mean, the, Texas Christian shut them out in the second half. They did. So offensively, Kansas State really couldn't get anything going. Injuries, all of that. But then also the adjustments from the Horn Frogs defense really shut Kansas State down. And where I do agree with you is that Chris Kleiman, I guarantee you this week, is thinking about we let one get away. We had it in the bag and we let it get away. They built that lead. I watched that first half and I thought Kansas State belongs in the Big 12 title, like in the Big 12 title game, like they can play for a Big 12 title. Yes. Uh, and, and then, you know, of course, the, the bottom fell out in the second half. TCU comes back and wins by 10. One area that I, I do want to mention, I want to point out, because I think I think you said it in your intro, that Kansas State no longer controls their own destiny. I don't think that's actually true because they play Oklahoma State this weekend. 
all you're doing at this point is trying to play your way into the second spot. So if you beat Oklahoma State, then you, you might not be in the driver's seat, but you can still conceivably find your way into a game against TCU. TCU owns the the tiebreaker between. I mean, they they beat both Oklahoma State and Kansas State. So really, Kansas State could end up in that title game. They might need. A, they're going to need a little bit of help from Oklahoma State to make it happen. But um, that's why this game coming up this weekend Massive. against the Cowboys is so monumental for Kansas State. It's interesting because. This KU team we mentioned is banged up with several injuries to keep players. They've got a bye week now. You got Kansas State, they're beat up. They just had their bye week. So yeah. there's not going to be any rest for Kansas State, no opportunity to try to get healthier. I was very impressed by Will Howard. I thought that he was able to read the defense. He made a couple of throws with some touch that required a little finesse, a little touch over the top of the defense, dropping the ball in. He did have the one interception, which looked like that was a it, it was you know going to the opposite side of the field. Felt pretty forced at that point in the game. You know, Kansas State hadn't scored in a while. They had gotten drives and not been able to convert on field goals. But I I think that I last year. I mean, I think you and I both on this show both said, or I certainly said, I won't put my words in your mouth, but I said, you know, Will Howard is not a guy that that can win you games, not a guy who can who can give you an opportunity to win. After watching this game and how he played, I'm not sh- I'm not sure about that anymore. I think maybe he can. So you mentioned that you thought that in order for KU to get to bowl eligibility, they had to have Jalen Daniels. So I'm going to ask you the same question for Kansas State. In order for them to contend for the Big 12 title, to have a chance to win this week, and Martinez, by the way, game time decision. We don't know anything about whether or not he's been practicing. I looked. I couldn't find it. Maybe it's out there. I didn't have time to scour every edge of the Kansas State dark web, but I tried. But he's a game time injury. Will Howard will start if he can't go. They are getting some guys back. Cornerback Julius Brents, safety Josh Hayes are both going to be back, and the tight end Ben Sinnott. He is probable, and Sinnott has practiced all this week. So they are getting healthy at on the defense and the offense, but do you believe that this Kansas State team, with as well as Adrian Martinez, had been playing, can this team contend and beat Oklahoma State with Howard, or is it the same thing you said about KU, that without Daniels, they're going to be limited and their ceiling just won't be high enough? It's the same thing as KU, in my opinion, and I'll tell you the reason why. Because the game plan, if Will Howard starts against the Cowboys— will have to be different than the game plan if Adrian Martinez starts. Um, and and then the question becomes, is Adrian Martinez, if he plays, is he going to be effective? Is he 100%? Like, what? where is he at right now? We just, we just don't know that. Um, but I don't even really be, see what happened on, I don't know. on the um, play. I don't really even know because he was in full been, uniform. Yeah. It had to have been substantial enough to where, I mean, he was out for the first drive of the game and didn't return. Um, and I'm so, not saying you know, that he's, you know, like that he was soft or, you know, wasn't man enough to yeah. I, I'm not saying that. I just saying I when I was watching a lot of times, you know, when Jalen Daniels got hurt, you're like, oh, OK, yeah, it's really bad. Landed yeah. on his shoulder. That looks bad. I just didn't so see the, what happened. Yeah. The, the game plan for Will Howard has got to be different. And basically what that game plan is when, when Will Howard can be most effective is when the Wildcats rely on Deuce Vaughn to run the football. And really all Will Howard has to do is keep the defense honest. That's what he, he did for quite a bit against TCU, and it, it wasn't enough. 
I don't think it's going to be enough against Oklahoma State either. Like, that's what Will Howard can bring to the table. Yeah, he can make some good throws. He can throw some touchdowns. But, you know, you mentioned before that you, you've you said that Will Howard's not a quarterback that can win you games. That might be a little extreme. I think he can win you games. I'm just Last not sure year. He can, I'm just not sure he can win you games against top 10 opponents. I just don't – I'm not sure that sure. he can do that. And so with that game plan – that's the way that the, the Wildcats will probably have to scheme it up for Will Howard is it's the running game first and, and Oklahoma State is vulnerable there. So for sure, if Deuce Vaughn is healthy, you you pound the rock 100% and then you give Will Howard the opportunity to just soften up the defense some with some of those touch throws and third down conversions and things like that. That's great. That's a great game plan. I'm just not sure it's enough to beat Oklahoma State. And where Adrian Martinez brings something different to the table is his versatility. Will Howard can run decently. He had some carries and some yardage, and I think he rushed for a touchdown uh, against TCU last week. Uh, I'm pretty sure you'd have to like fact check me on that, but I'm pretty sure that he did. Um, so he can do that, but Adrian Martinez can do it at a much more elite level, running the football, and we've seen him be able to air it out as well. His receivers are coming on. Brooks and Knoll are uh, are great receivers, and or Brooks and Knowles are great receivers. Cade Warner is coming into his own. Also, they get Ben Sinnott back, which is which is awesome. Um, so I I think that the opportunity for Kansas State is much more real and tangible with Adrian Martinez under center to beat the Cowboys. I'm a little bit surprised, to be honest with you. The last I looked, the Wildcats were favored at home. I know it's kind of like They still are. Advantage. I was actually going to wrap up with that. I'm a little Oklahoma, surprised by that. Oklahoma State is plus 100 on the money line. Yeah. So that's an even money bet. You bet 100, you win 100. And Oklahoma yeah. State is currently getting, they are getting a point and a half. Yeah. I am I am stunned by that. I mean, if you're if you're given if you assume that home field advantage is is three points without your starting really, quarterback, yeah. I mean, but I mean, just generally speaking, if home field advantage is worth three points, then really Oklahoma State is favored by a point and a half. But regardless, it's kind of a coin flip. Um, I mean, in I that case, I mean, that. how many points is your starting quarterback worth? I mean, unless they're just looking and saying, well, Will Howard played like this against Texas Christian. Yeah, so I mean, that's a, do that, a flat out. I don't it's know about a flat that. Out, uh, stay away game bet for me. Like I'm not, I don't think I'm doing anything with Kansas state and, and Oklahoma state. I, I think it's, it's kind of like deja vu. And I mentioned this on my radio show. It's a little bit like, like deja vu because, um, I talked about it a week ago on the show with TCU and how basically even when Adrian Martinez was healthy, I said the Wildcats cannot afford to get into a shootout with the Horn Frogs. They just can't do it. They don't have the offensive firepower to, to maintain for a full 60 minutes to keep up with a high-powered scoring attack. The defense has got to be lights out. They've got to try to limit the points. They got kind of into a shootout with TCU, especially in the second half, and they couldn't keep up. It's kind of the same thing with Oklahoma State. They cannot afford to get into a shootout with the Cowboys if they want to win the game. It, it, I, I feel like if, if Kansas State can hold Oklahoma State to, I don't know, 24 points or less, the Wildcats win. If the, if the Cowboys score more than that, it's going to be really tough. I'm a little enticed by the Oklahoma State play there. I'm not going to lie. You know, you, if, you, I, if you told me that you believe that Oklahoma State could win at Kansas State, even if Adrian Martinez was 100%, I would say, yeah, I think that they can. So yeah. the fact that they are but getting a point. But do you think, I mean, I, I answer the question. I would like you to answer it. Do you think that a Will Howard-led team can beat the Cowboys? Uh, they will have to – the defense that they play 
will have to be better than what they did against TCU. I think that they're going to have to limit Oklahoma State. I think that the the I don't think that Will Howard by himself and the offense, as you mentioned, is going to be able to get into a shootout with Oklahoma State. I don't. I just don't think that Kansas State is that good defensive or offensively. I don't think Deuce Vaughn is as healthy as he needs to be offensively to make that happen. So I think that where Kansas State, so you you're thinking about okay, if Kansas State's capped here offensively, where are they going to make up that gap? And to me, the gap is they must play better. I think the best chance that Kansas State has in order to mitigate the talent difference is Kansas State needs to play better defensively and hold Oklahoma State to a much lower level than it typically plays that offensively. I think that's the best chance that Kansas State has to win. I think if you're asking Will Howard to play better than he did last week and the offense to play better than they did last week while not getting anything more out of your out of your uh, your defense and Obviously, you would hope that the special teams are going to make a field goal for you this week. No missed field goals. You don't have that kind of no. luxury. And they talked about the how Chris Tennant is on the hot seat, may not get the start at field goal kicker this week. Who knows how that's going to go, what kind of a leash it's, he's going to be on. But obviously, he has not been the guy for Kansas State this year. So I, I'm not in the special teams game. You know, you don't have a guy back there like Darren Sproles that's making a huge, big difference for Kansas State, although they did have a nice return out to the 45-yard line there late, but I just don't think you have that guy to plug in back there who can just take it 75, 80 yards to the house like Kansas State has had at times in the past under Bill Snyder coach teams. So you look at the three areas of the game, I think Kansas State is not likely to play significantly better offensively, not likely to play significantly better on special teams. So the only thing that's left they're going to have to play better defensively and hold Oklahoma State down. Once again, 2.30 for the kickoff on Fox at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. On to the Kansas City Chiefs. Mixed week here for us on the show as the Chiefs go 1-1. One one. They lose to the Bills two weeks ago, 24-20. Come back with a very impressive performance against the 49ers and a 44-23 victory in that which the Chiefs rolled up over 500 yards. Against the Bills, the Chiefs had a bend but don't break defense. They have given up defensively over 400 yards in back-to-back weeks, but last week the offense was in masterful condition. All three of the top receivers, I thought that McCole Hardman, just four catches, but had a really nice game. The three name guys, Valdez, Scantling, Smith-Schuster, both played terrific. Travis Kelsey showing again why he's probably the best pass catcher in the league. Patrick Mahomes was nearly perfect. Uh, The defense was still... Just just okay against the Jimmy Garoppolo-led offense, but uh, it was great to see the Chiefs bounce back against the 49ers in a game that some people thought the 49ers maybe could hurt Kansas City, but Patrick Mahomes put those uh, worries to bed pretty quickly. Uh, offensively, probably the Chiefs' second-best performance of the year. Yeah, uh, the last two weeks for Kansas City, has been, it's been kind of a, a punch-counterpunch um, because, of course— all the narratives nationally, and I don't disagree with it, but the, the narratives nationally is that you've got the, the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, in the and AFC. Not just in the AFC, maybe in the entire NFL. I mean, I know the Eagles look really good too, um, but really it's kind of the Bills and the Chiefs for AFC supremacy. And the Bills come into Arrowhead and they get a four-point victory. And, and I don't know about you, we haven't had a show since that game. Nope. Um, I, I didn't really feel terrible after the loss. 
I thought, man, you know, the Bills are a really, really good football team. And the way that they attacked Kansas City defensively with the personnel that they have, my thought was this is exactly why the Bills made the moves they did in the offseason was to combat Kansas City. They went out and got Von Miller to beat Kansas City. It wasn't about the AFC East. They pretty much got that wrapped up. I mean, the Jets are on the come up, absolutely, but the Bills are the class in the AFC East right now. The Patriots are are basically trash and the Dolphins looked good for a while, but I'm, I'm not sold on them anymore. Um, so it's the Bills. They went out and they, they, they reloaded to take down the Kansas City Chiefs in a late playoff run, potentially an AFC championship game. That's exactly why they did what they did. And, and they looked really, really solid in Kansas City. We talked about it after the Raider game about how the the run game was really really lacking, uh, missing or the the run defense was really really lacking uh, against the Raiders and Josh Jacobs carved them up, and then the Bills come into town and Devin Singletary, who is probably a bottom tier running back in the NFL, he carved up the Chiefs. So they were really missing Willie Gay Jr. They got him back against the 49ers. That paid off dividends without a doubt. Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, they added him and he looked fairly effective early on, but ultimately defensively, the Chiefs played really well. And what I think what was so um, notable about the 49ers game, and we talk about it all the time, the number of times that Kansas City gets punched in the mouth coming out of uh, coming out of the gates, they fall behind by 10. And it's almost like in Patrick Mahomes' mind, it's like, I got him right where I want him. I'm down by 10. Let's go. Let's <laughs> Have you seen work. that Let's meme where they it's Travis Kelsey and uh, and Patrick Mahomes? And I think it's Travis Kelsey like whispering. And he's like, so we'll let the Raiders get ahead by 17. And then we'll start playing. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. And it's remarkable to me. I, I'm sure you saw the stat uh, that, that I did um, after the win that said that Patrick Mahomes is 13 and 9 in his career in games that he's fallen behind 10 or more points. <laughs> 13 and nine seems he has pretty a good plus 500 record when his team is down 10 points or more. I mean, it's just insane. It's insanity. And all of the talk about what Kansas city needs to do um, in going and acquiring another weapon on offense at a wide receiver. And I know we'll talk about that in a moment. I kind of feel like they didn't really need to do anything because we finally saw MVS and Juju Smith-Schuster come alive. We saw uh, McCole Hardman be more than just a little gadget guy running jet sweeps. Uh, He did that, but he did more and he had three touchdowns. And then, oh, by the way, Travis Kelsey nearly had 100 yards in receiving. So all of this talk about what is the offense going to look like without Tyreek Hill. It's better. The offense is overall better without Tyreek Hill because Patrick Mahomes has more weapons to throw to. He can spread it around to guys who have different skill sets and can be super effective doing it. Well, you mentioned that the Chiefs did make a move and they have going into their bye week. Kadarius Toney traded to the Chiefs, a wide receiver, hasn't really gotten on the field or done anything for the New York Giants, a third-round pick for the G-Men. The Chiefs gave up a third and a sixth-round pick to acquire him. He had been injury-prone, but he says that he is healthy now. Obviously, he uh, passed a physical. The third-round pick that they sent him was a compensatory pick. They lost, uh, losing Ryan Poles to the Chicago Bears as a general manager and a sixth-round choice. Obviously, you know, when you give away a sixth round pick to me, you might as well be giving away like a koozie. Like who? It, it, it's not. It's nothing. You're you're giving away a paperclip because that guy 
Could, yes. Could you find a Terrell Davis in the fifth or sixth round? Yes. But you're just as likely to find somebody who is not going to be in the league for 15 minutes. So it, it means absolutely nothing. The third round pick, obviously, it's a compensatory pick. It's one you can get value in that spot. But one thing that I saw that I thought was really interesting was that they, you know how they, in the draft and in the combine, because we have to have NFL coverage like every single second of every single day. So they, oh, well, here's who this guy comps against. And, you know, I don't know if that stuff even means anything. You know who Kadarius Tony's comp out of the draft was, who they compared him to? The NFL player that they thought, this guy looks like he could be in this kind of mold. I don't know. I have no idea. Tyreek Hill. Okay. Was the guy that they said, this is the style of, of player that we think that he can be. We know how good that he was, and this is not suggesting in any way that Kadarius Tony will be a 10th or a quarter or even a hundredth of the receiver that Tyreek Hill was in this offense. But if you believe that comp, you can certainly see why the Chiefs decided, you know what, Tony is a third round pick. Are we likely to get a third round pick next year that we think is going to be a Tyree Kill type of guy? Probably not. If we could get a Tyree Kill type of guy with a third and a sixth round pick, why wouldn't we do that? So I think it's very interesting that the Chiefs are on a bye week this week. They'll come back Sunday night football on November the 6th for a 7:20 kickoff at home against the Titans. So I think that this is a very interesting time of the season to make this move because you bring Tony in and Tony will basically get to have a mini camp this week. He'll get to go work with the guys, get into the offense and get a dress rehearsal run this weekend. The Chiefs don't play. And so he'll get a full two weeks of prep to get integrated into the offense by Coach Reed, Patrick Mahomes, Eric Bieniemy, and so I'm very, very interested to see how they use him in this offense, especially because, you know, I've talked to a lot of fans and a lot of my friends who watch the Chiefs, like, oh, God, I don't think Cole Hardman's is, you know, I don't think he's the number three guy for the Chiefs, and I think that he's played fairly well the last couple of weeks. I thought he had a couple of really nice catches and really nice routes against the 49ers. Patrick Mahomes is not going to throw him a big number, a, a large volume of balls, especially the way that Valdez Scantling and Juju Smith-Schuster both had massive games against San Francisco. And you've got Kelsey catching all those balls. So it's not like there's a lot of extra pigskin to throw around. I mean, you're going to have to get what you get if you're not 1-2 on the wide receiver depth chart or Travis Kelsey. But I think Hardman has played to his potential and has played much better the last couple of weeks. But I'm interested to see how they can utilize this extra receiver and if Tony will crack the rotation at all against Tennessee. I think McCool Hardman is a victim of expectations, of high expectations, uh, because when he came out, everybody said he's just maybe a step slower than Tyreek Hill, but he's really, really fast. And, you know, he, he's you, you say those words and you think, oh, my God, he's going to be a number one receiver. And that's that's not McCool Hardman. Not but right I think now. you can't you can't underestimate the amount of trust that Patrick Mahomes has with McCool Hardman. He's the, the wide receiver out, outside of Travis Kelsey that has the most time with Patrick Mahomes in that offense. I don't think that can be understated at all, the importance of that. When it comes to Kadarius Toney, though, I think we all need to pump the brakes a little bit on Toney. Not that he's not going to make an impact for Kansas City, but I think that the impact might be felt in a different area 
sooner than at wide receiver, and that's at punt returner. Kadarius sure. Tony can return punts. Sky Moore has had tons of issues returning punts, which is weird because he didn't really return punts in college, uh, from my understanding. And so he just kind of, as a rookie, gets thrown out there by Dave Tobe to return punts, and it has not worked out well at all for, for Sky Moore in that role. And so the Chiefs have had to, you know, I'm, I'm guessing, consider other options, and Kadarius Tony can do that. So I think he'll have a more immediate impact in that role on special teams than it getting into the offense. This was a move, and, and I'll be honest, when I first heard it, I'm like, I don't like that. I'm not a fan of that trade. <laughs> I don't like giving up the picks for a guy that is completely unproven. You're just not giving um, up that much in terms of picks, though. I just if didn't you, if like it. If it's a first it. or second rounder, like, yeah, that's, I just didn't different. like the. I didn't like the concept of giving up draft picks for a wide receiver. Like I, I, in my opinion, I feel like, and this is something the Chiefs can still do before the trade deadline next week. Is if they're going to give up any kind of draft capital. Do it on the defensive side of the ball. Get some secondary help. Get some pass rush help. Um, but don't give up draft picks for another wideout. I mean, you've got a lot of them, and you've got one of the most prolific offenses, if not the most prolific offense in the National Football League already. So why are you giving away draft picks for it? Then I started to look at it. This is a long-term play for Brett Veach and Andy Reid. Kadarius Toney is under contract for another two years, and then there's an option after that. So he's under team control for a while, where after this season, Juju Smith-Schuster is a free agent. McCole Hardman is a free agent. So this is an opportunity for Brett Veach to have a guy that's got a lot of upside. He's a talented guy. He was, he was very highly regarded coming out of Florida. In fact, the Chiefs were pretty high on him as well mm -hmm. uh, in the combine and the pre-draft and all of that. And to get him and bring him on and have him under team control and get into the system for a while for a long-term play for Kansas City. So I feel like for this season, for the playoff push, for a Super Bowl push, Let's pump the brakes a little bit on the impact that Kadarius Tony can have. I think this is more of a long-term play and an impact potentially next year and beyond. Once again, he'll have a chance to impact this season in a couple of weeks. The Chiefs are off this week on their bye. They'll be back for Sunday Night Football against the Titans in hey, November. By the way, before we move on, I feel like we should at least mention that Frank Clark is suspended yep. for the next two games. Uh, so he will not be with the Chiefs against the Titans or the Jaguars, which really, honestly, if you look at the schedule, it's probably the best two weeks for him to be out. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think it's that big of a deal. I don't think it's going to I don't think he's really going to be. He's been that playing better list. this year, I think he has been. But have you ever I asked this question before and I'll ask it to you now. Have you ever in a game that Frank Clark has not played in thought, man, the chiefs really missed Frank Clark today. Like, I, I just don't think that's ever really happened. Like, yeah, he has had some impact plays. We don't win a super bowl without Frank Clark. I get it. I recognize it. I'm just not sure that it's that like, you know, when Chris Jones is not on the field, I don't know if it's really necessarily quite. I mean, the same I remember back Clark. in the day, we can go in the way back machine. I remember like when Derek Thomas was not on the field, like, well, you we're knew. just not not going to sack the quarterback. There were a couple <laughs> of years, like, if we don't have Neil Smith and Derek Thomas, it's over. We got we have no you chance know. to put pressure on the quarterback. So this is an opportunity for Kansas City in the next two games uh, for the, the guys that are going to be replacing Frank Clark in the lineup 
to really show out. And I'm looking at George Karloftis, and he's someone that has, uh, he leads all rookies in pressures this season, um, which is insane, but he hasn't really been able to turn those pressures into sacks. He only has one sack on the season. So he's got an opportunity to come off the edge and do that against the, the Titans and the Jags. Then you've got the veteran Carlos Dunlop who can fill in too. So I think between those guys, I don't think the impact is going to be quite as big losing Frank Clark for a couple of games as it was, for instance, when the Chiefs lost Willie Gay for four games. Like you knew that stopping the run was going to be difficult without him. I think the Chiefs will be okay without Frank Clark. Chiefs once again on a bye week. They will be back for Sunday Night Football against Tennessee. On to college basketball, and this is our official college basketball preview. We'll look at the three NCAA Division I schools here in the state of Kansas. Of course, we have to start with your reigning and defending NCAA champion, University of Kansas Jayhawks, who will be looking to put together just the third pair of back-to-back titles since the NCAA tournament expanded to 64 teams in 1985. Certainly last year was a magical run, but this year's roster is going to look much different. Several multi-year guys are gone off of last year's team. Four-year starters, Ochai Abaji, David McCormick, both gone. Remy Martin, a one-year loner who was instrumental for the Jayhawks, especially in March. Christian Brown is into the NBA now, but the Jayhawks do have, by all accounts, a top 25 recruiting class, some as high as four rating the Jayhawks recruiting class this season. Looking at the returners from last year, you look at Jalen Wilson, who is very surprising that he is back with the Jayhawks. Dewan Harris, of course, is going to get a ton of time at the point guard position. And a lot of people are very high on Zach Clements, who really didn't play in a whole lot of action last year. 24 games, but 118 minutes, and just not really a spot for him on the depth chart at the forward position a year ago. And in terms of the experience, that's really it. K.J. Adams played in 37 games, but he played in like, you know, 30 seconds in 30 of those 37 games. He played about 30 seconds or less. Obviously, we saw his extreme athleticism. Joseph Yusufu didn't really ever have the chance to, to, to really make a difference last year as well. So he returns. The, the Jayhawks have got a ton of new players coming in as well. Obviously, the one that us in Kansas are going to be most familiar with is Grady Dick playing for Sunrise Christian right here in Wichita, Kansas, a McDonald's All-American and the number one twenty number 21 player in the class of 2022, according to 24-7 Sports. And another guy that you were very high on, Tommy, that we did not think was going to come, but he pulls out of the draft, Kevin McCuller, Three years of experience at Texas Tech. He is projected to start a 6'6 redshirt senior who was very, very good for the Red Raiders. Not a great three-point shot. Maybe he can develop that this year. But any way you look at it, this is going to be a much, much different Jayhawk team with, I think, just as high of a ceiling as last year's team. But I think the margin of error for this year's crop of Jayhawks is going to be much, much slimmer. I'm really curious to see how long it takes for Bill Self to get this team to gel. That's the biggest question when you've got so much turnover and you are replacing 80% of your starting lineup. Um, it's just, it, it's going to take some time, right? And this is Jalen Wilson and Dewan Harris's team. Bill Self has said as much. Um, Dewan Harris 
while I feel like he's a little undersized, just his motor is insane. And we saw that in flashes last year. So I'm excited to see him in a more expanded role, kind of taking over that role that, and he did it to an extent when Remy Martin wasn't playing quite as much midway through the season last year, but really seeing him entrenched as the starting point guard, Jalen Wilson, his versatility, his length, that's going to come into play for sure. And then there's a lot of unknowns and we know the potential of Grady Dick. We know how great Kevin McCuller was at Texas Tech. We just wonder, how is that all going to work together? So sure. I'm really curious to see how, lo- how long that takes. My biggest concern overall for this Jayhawks squad is the post. Um, you lose David McCormick. Say what you will about David McCormick. The Jayhawks don't win a national title without David McCormick. No, they don't. It's just as simple as that. I'm probably, I've been as critical about David McCormick as anybody, except for maybe Weston. Weston was probably the most David McCormick we'll critical, so. uh, critical author. He wanted Mitch Lightfoot to play more. Um, but And that's kind of surprising, too, that Mitch Lightfoot is gone, uh, <laughs> as a side note. Yeah, are, we, are, we, are we sure? Are we yeah. sure that he's gone? He moved into the retirement home He made Perry Ellis, Perry Ellis look yeah. like a teenager. Yeah, so, um, but, you know, David McCormick is not there, and then, you're replacing those valuable minutes from a veteran like David McCormick, albeit the mistakes that he made all the time were frustrating, but he had the experience in the program for a, for a while. You replace it with some unproven guys like Zach Clements and KJ Adams and Ernest Uday. And, you know, those guys, again, have a lot of potential, a lot of raw potential, but how well do they fit into the system? So that's going to be really interesting to me. But I think that when you look overall at where the Jayhawks are placed nationally, you know, they were ranked in the preseason poll, which doesn't mean a whole lot, but the preseason poll tied tied fifth with Baylor. That's a testament to Bill Self and the program yes. that he built. It's like that whole, like, don't rebuild, reload. And that's, again, what, what Bill Self has done. So, um, I think it's going to take some time, but I'm intrigued to see how it all pans out. Well, Bobby Pettiford also played a big role last year, uh, especially during the first month of the season, did have that abdominal injury. And so Bill Self kind of changed the rotation. Obviously, when Remy Martin was coming back, there was no place for Pettiford at the table with as good as Remy Martin was playing. I think that this team is going to run through Dewan Harris. The way that NCAA basketball is played now, you look back at the national championship teams, and did they have important post players in those games? Absolutely. You get great forward play for KU out of David McCormick, who you know was the best player at the Final Four. No question about that in my mind. He should have been the tournament MOP, or at least the Final Four MOP. I still think, you know, in my mind, that Remy Martin was the best player in the tournament, but the best player at the Final Four was David McCormick. But I can't think of a single team that you looked at them and said, they don't have great guard play. Of all the teams that have won this millennium almost, like can you name one team that you look at and say, they just had average guards and their big men carried them? No, and and I think that you can arguably look at the team that in the last, I don't know, decade that was probably the worst under Bill Self was the team that Marcus Garrett led at point guard. And and that's not a knock on Marcus Garrett. He's just not a natural point guard. They didn't really no. have a natural point guard that year. And that was probably the team that um, underperformed the most under Bill Self because they didn't great have, de- part, yeah partly great because defensive they didn't, player. 100%. But but running the post or running the point was not really his strong suit. He was better at playing off the ball. Uh, and, and so that was that was why they were probably 
the least talented and less least successful team uh, under Bill Self in the last decade. And I think that Dewan Harris, you know, you look at the time that he did get to play, and we were talking a lot last year during the season, like, gosh, why isn't Remy playing? And there's something going on between him and Bill Self. And, you know, it turned out that we made, you know, something out of nothing. It was just he wasn't healthy 100%, and so they had to hold him out. And Remy said he'd be ready for March, and Bill yeah. said, you're that's BS, you won't be. And Remy said, <laughs> hold my Gatorade, I am. And Bill was be. like, Okay, I was wrong. I'm gonna play you. And 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 think of the you know over the years the elite point guards that have played for Kansas. You know your Devon Dotson and uh, Remy Martin, Devon, Frank Mason, Devontae, Devontae Graham, Graham. You know just all of these guys over Mario the last even just ten, yeah, even just the last ten years that have just been you know dominant running the point for Kansas as that floor general. So Dewan Harris is going to have a lot of responsibilities on his shoulder to coordinate everything. And and one thing that I think is going to be and Bill Self has even said as much that's going to be essential for the Jayhawks if they want to be successful we're going to see this team probably shooting a lot more threes uh simply because they have the shooters and they don't necessarily have the the strong post play right away so I think we're going to see this team needing to shoot a lot and needing to make a lot of shots if they want to win well, and I also think that it's interesting that, you know, I, I want to get back to Devon or Dewan Harris for just a second. In the time that he played, his assist to turnover ratio was pretty good, especially through the regular season. So I think that with more time, a little bit more confidence, a little bit more continuity in the offense, I think he'll have a chance to become that kind of a player. I don't know if he's going to be as good at, you know, when you're throwing him against Dotson, Graham, Mason, and Remy Martin in the NCAA tournament. That's that's really hard. That's really hard because those four guys, you know, Dotson, Graham, and Mason had great senior seasons. And while Martin was limited in injury, that's about as good of a march as any guard maybe has ever had for Kansas, the way that he played in the NCAA tournament. Baylor is the first-place pick with five first-place votes. Kansas picked second in the Big 12 and it was the Kansas State Wildcats that was near unanimously picked as the last team in the Big 12. Moving on to Kansas State, this is a team that is famously being led by a brand new head coach, a ton of team of guys transferring out from Bradford to Brooks, Edwards, Isiegu, Harris, Honus, uh, so many Landers, many McGurl was out of eligibility. Finally, he graduated. So it's going to be a completely new look team. Only Masad and Noel are back for Kansas state from last year. And so, you know, Masad averaged 12 points a game and he led the Wildcats in assists. I think that the offense is going to go through him. Clearly Masad averaged seven points per game, but all the eyes are going to be on Jerome Tang. He has been so active in the community trying to get this Wildcat fan base jazzed up and jacked up and ready to go to Bramlage Coliseum and watch the Big Purple this year. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how things come together. This is a team that I'm not sure talent-wise or player-wise or certainly program-wise that they are going to be the worst in the Big 12 this year, but I'm not sure I know what to expect out of Kansas State this year. I really like Jerome Tang. So do the I. More, the more that I follow him and uh, read stories about him, and I just really like him. I really like his passion. I really like his tenacity. The difference between him and Bruce Weber was Bruce Weber, yeah, I guess was passionate, but he was obnoxious. 
and annoying. And <laughs> Jerome Tang is not any of those things. And I think that he's really made a concerted effort to get the fan base excited again about Kansas State basketball. That's great. He's had like six months or so to do that, to get the fan base uh, galvanized to come out to Bramlage and watch the Wildcats play. Now we're at a point where he's got to put his money where his mouth is, and they've got to actually start to produce. Otherwise, you're not keeping a fan base at all, uh, especially at, at a place like Kansas State. I feel like they were picked 10th in the Big 12 for a couple of reasons. Number one, because somebody has to finish 10th. Uh, and sure. I think just the victim of you know how dominant the Big 12 has been uh, over the last couple of years, somebody has to finish 10th. Also, it's just the unknown. And it's, you know, a lot of the other teams in the in the conference, you kind of know what to expect. And whether or not you know what to expect in all aspects of the game, that might be not the case. It might not be the case. But with every other team, you pretty much know at least who the coach is or you know at least who the players are. At Kansas State, it's a brand new coach who's never been a head coach before and a bunch of brand new players. So the unknowns are all the way around the program. Noel had great minutes last year. He played really, really good basketball on a Kansas State team that was not very good last year no. at all under Bruce Weber. He was a bright light. Massad had minutes too. He had moments that looked pretty solid. So those two guys, yeah, we, we kind of know what to expect from them. They're good basketball players. Everybody else, we just don't really know. I think the one guy that, you know, and Jerome Tang utilized not only the recruiting aspect, but the transfer portal pretty Big well. Big time. And has brought in transfers from a bunch of different programs. I'm really interested to see Keontae Johnson. Oh, definitely. See what he can He's do. the highlight for sure. Just really from, from more of like a human interest perspective than anything. I mean, the guy almost died on the court when he played for Florida. And so he's medically cleared and now is playing at Kansas State. And can he be a contributor? Can he get back to the way he was before? Because he, he was, you know, highly, highly touted at Florida uh, before he, he collapsed and, and all of that, you know, came came to play. So he's one guy for sure that I'm really interested in looking at. It was a very late get for Tang in that recruiting cycle, by the way. 11 points, 7 rebounds a game, averaged over an assist and a steal per game for the Gators. And also, I think another guy who could pair very, very well is going to be an Arkansas State transfer in yeah. Sills. He's another guy that people are saying, Desi Sills, he's a 6'2 senior. I think that it'll be interesting to see how he pairs in the backcourt with Noel, who you would think is going to get the bulk of the backcourt minutes for Kansas State. Moving on to what might be the warmest seat of these three that we are talking about, and I'm not sure that that's fair or not, but we are talking, of course, about the Wichita State University Shockers. The Shockers last year, 15 and 13, 6 and 9 in the American. They, of course, a year off of Isaac Brown being named the American Athletic Conference Coach of the Year and the Shockers being one of the best teams in the American Athletic Conference. They, too, like Kansas State, are also going to be going through Nearly an entire rebuild. American Athletic Conference Player of the Year candidate Tyson Etienne is gone. Ricky Council IV is gone. Udeze and Dennis both transfer out after having great seasons the year before. Last season, just kind of average for both of them. I thought they both played pretty well. Quake Grant, Clarence Jackson, Joe Pleasant is gone. So you've got Craig Porter Jr. back and Kenny Poto, and that is it. A grand total of 12 points and about eight rebounds per game. All that the Shockers are bringing back and a ton of unknowns 
one known, Isaiah Poor Bear Chandler transferring back in from Omaha, but you've got guys like Isaac Abide, Xavier Bell, Gus Okafor, a ton of guys who are coming in. Uh, there are plenty of guys from junior college, a lot of guys from smaller level schools. Quincy Ballard is a transfer, a center from Florida State. Xavier Bell comes from Drexel. This is a team last year, Tommy, that ranked near the bottom 100 in terms of offense, 69 points per game, scoring defense. They were in the top 100 uh, field goal percentage. They were in the bottom 30 of field goal percentage last year at just 40%. And in terms of the offense, their three-point field goal percentage was 293rd. It's about 350 teams in Division One, So it was not a defensive problem last year. The offense just couldn't consistently score. And the problem is, man, you lost guys like Ricky Council and Tyson Etienne. That's 27 points per game last year. Morris Udeze is another 10 points per game. There's a lot of offense that's gone off last year's team. And Dexter Dennis transfers out your best defensive player. So... If I said that I didn't know what to expect out of Kansas State, I am in the woods or maybe in the wheat field for Wichita State. I have no idea what this Shocker team is going to look like. Yeah, you could say that if you wanted to spin it a certain way, that the the Shockers um, are facing potentially a nightmare scenario offensively because they were already not a great offensive team a year ago. No. Then they lose their top offensive producers. Yes. Uh, and and so you could think and, and spin like, oh my God, this is going to be bad. I remember going to a handful of games last year for Wichita State and offensively, they would just disappear for minutes at a time. 10 um, minutes you know, they, at a time. They would they not would, score they would, for 10 minutes. Yeah, they had multiple 10 minute droughts. And then, they just would go away and like, where'd they go? What are we doing here? <laughs> just score. Like, you know, and, Run know offense. I'm, over, I'm oversimplifying it a little bit, but that was concerning. Uh, absolutely. Keep your eyes on Xavier Bell. He's a Wichita kid played really well at, at Drexel. Now he's with the shockers um, back in his, in his hometown. Uh, I think that's a key get for Isaac Brown and keep your eyes open for Craig Porter jr. Part of the reason that, that he came back to Wichita State was because he was going to get to be the unquestioned leader of this team. He averaged like, I think, just over seven points a game last season. He started Correct. all but one of the games he played in for Wichita State a year ago. He will be the unquestioned leader on both ends of the floor for the Shockers. He's a good defender also. Uh, he averaged more than a steal a game, averaged more than a block a game. And the guy's like 6'2". Um, so he was able to get it done on both ends of the floor. The Shockers are going to need to rely on him to score in double digits this se- this season and then also be a key contributor defensively. So I think that's going to be a key point also. I'm interested to see how Kenny Poto will do with an expanded role on this team. We saw him in spurts last season, so I'm excited to see that a little bit. Um, but you know what? I want to reference something that, that you mentioned at the beginning of this about the warmest seat with Isaac Brown. Sure. And you said that, you know, you don't necessarily think that's fair. I don't necessarily think it's fair either. And I, I, I would hope, I wish that throughout the course of this season, that Shocker fans have a little bit of patience because this is a new squad uh, outside of a couple of guys. And not unlike KU and K-State, it's going to take some time for these guys to gel. It's not a team full of returners that have been playing in the same system for a long time. It's year three of the Isaac Brown era. He was the American coach of the year two years ago. And it's interesting, his 
his career path at Wichita State so far as head coach, because I think we can all say he overperformed as a head coach in his first year. Of Absolutely course. overperformed. Last year, he underperformed with returners. This year, he doesn't have returners anymore. And so he can, I maybe he'll overperform again. I'm not sure. Um, but I do think that it's unfair and premature right now to have any kind of speculation about his job status. Um, I think he's in good shape, and um, I like him as the coach of Wichita State, and I want to see him stick around. It, we mentioned when Mr. Saul was hired, the new AD, Isaac Brown's not his guy. And you know as well as I do that while you know we're talking about this, I don't think that we're the ones suggesting that he you know should be replaced no. or will be replaced. But you know as well as I do that there are a lot of Shocker fans out there who are watching and listening who probably, if they would have had their druthers, so to speak, probably would have had him replaced after last season or not hired him at all. Think about it this way. I go back to what we talked about with Kansas football that, you know, you had certain expectations at the beginning of the season. You play really, really well. You go 5-0, your expectations change. Then you lose three in a row. It's okay to adjust those expectations back again. It's it's okay. It doesn't have to be a linear path. It can, sure. it can be, there can be peaks and valleys in your expectations in the same way with Wichita State. So in year one, your expectations start to climb because they win a league title and he's the coach of the year. And then the expectations, they can go down again. It doesn't have to be, okay, we're up here and we can never, ever come off of that. It's either we stay steady or we grow. That's not reality. That's not the way sports typically work. And so I think it's okay to adjust those expectations a little bit. Um, You know, the, the Shockers have an opportunity. And I would say one area where Wichita State and Kansas State what they have in common is they both were picked low in their respective conferences. They can use that as bulletin board material without a doubt. They've got that in common. Hey, fellas, they don't believe in us. We got nothing to lose. We're playing with house money. Let's go out there and get it done. And that's exactly what Isaac Brown did in year one as coach of the Shockers when he took over for Greg Marshall. That is all we've got for the program here today. Going to be very excited to see basketball season get started here in just a couple of short weeks. However, there is one more piece of business to do before we wrap up the show today. It is time to hit the music. It is time to go around Wichita with our Wichita Whip around a story from the air capital from sports that you may have missed this week or over the last two weeks. Tommy, we will start with you this week. Yeah, I'm going to stick with the Shockers and talk about Shocker baseball. The news came down that Eric Wedge will be stepping away as head coach of the Wichita State baseball program due to medical reasons. We don't really know much other than that, uh, and we don't know if this is a temporary thing or potentially a long-term thing. Of course, our thoughts and our prayers are with Eric Wedge during this time. In the meantime, Lauren Hibbs who is a Wichita State alum. He's the director of operations for the baseball program and the former head coach for nearly 30 years at Charlotte will be taking over as the interim head coach for Shocker Baseball. I am going to go to football as the Bishop Carroll Golden Eagles win yet another Holy War. They clinch the City League Championship, their second in a row with a 34-30 win over Capon. I was not able to go to the game because I was working at another athletic event. Tommy, did you end up going? I did not. I was unable to be there, uh, but I, I saw pictures and, you know, it was the largest crowd ever in 8, the history 000. of Riverfront Stadium, which is awesome. Um, I hope that there continue to be multiple football games at that facility moving forward. That's pretty awesome. 
looking at the high school football playoff picture. The playoffs are started this week in 6A. You've you've got Manhattan as the number one seed in the West. They are undefeated. The Indians at 8-0. Olathe North, your number one seed in 6A on the eastern half of the bracket. City League teams in action. Of course, everybody makes the playoffs now in 6A and 5A thanks to the you know what they did a couple of years ago in terms of changing the playoff structure, removing a regular season game, and adding it to the playoffs. You have got Wichita North. They are going to go up to Manhattan. And I don't know. It doesn't look good for the Redskins versus the Indians. Lawrence Free State, they're coming to Wichita to play Wichita East at Carpenter Stadium. The Northwest Grizzlies are hosting Southeast in a City League battle. Wichita South is headed to Junction City. Derby is hopefully going to beat the doors off of Topeka High. It always makes me happy when Topeka High loses. Heights (laughs) is going to Lawrence. I hate Topeka (laughs) High School. Hate the Trojans. Mays uh, High School, number one on the west side of 5A. Shiny Mill Valley is the number one seed on the east side. Goddard takes on Cape and Mount Carmel in Goddard. I think that's a really interesting 8-9 matchup in the West. Hutchinson and Bishop Carroll could play in the second round. Hutchinson's hosting Liberal. The Golden Eagles have Newton. Of course, that's a long time. Alan Shuckman, Randy Dryling matchup in the playoffs. Uh, Hayes is going to be hosting Wichita West. May South goes to Valley Center. Andover is at Salina Central. Eisenhower is at Great Bend. And in Class 4A for State, uh, well, I just closed 4A. The the the. I wanted to check and see where the Fighting Weston Mills were. Um, you know what? I, I think ju- maybe we just have to run out of show. That's 3A, right, with Andale? And why don't we just give them the title? Like, we don't even need to say who the other teams are <laughs> in state. I mean, we all know Andale's going to win. It's a foregone conclusion. They beat... Um, what team? What team did they? They beat a team like a hunt, Nickerson or something. Something beat them like, like that. 100, yeah, hundred nine to, to zero or so. They're going to win the state title. Actually, I think they are. Um, they down? Aren't they like two A now? Is that a thing? I think they're three A still. I'm pretty sure they're three A. Well, the do, however, whatever, whatever class they're in, they could win six A right now if they wanted to. Maybe they they are very very good. Uh, Rose Hill is playing in the four A bracket right now, and looking at the three A bracket. Yeah, there is Andale. They are 8-0. They've got Goodland in the first round. Wichita Collegiate and Andale would be a massive sub-state. They played, they played like two weeks ago or three weeks ago, and Andale crushed Collegiate. It was like 49-7 to seven or something. And that's the number two team. Shocking. That's the, that's the separation. That's the disparity between Andale and everybody else in 3A. Well, you know, when you, you look at Andale and they were making the 4A playoffs, they just could never get by, you know, Bishop Miege was always beating them at 4A once Bishop Miege dropped down from 5A. And now you put Andale in a class of 3A teams. And I said when Andale got dropped down, like, good luck ever winning a chi- championship as yeah. long as Andale is eligible to play at this classification. So that is our Wichita Whip Around. We'll keep you up to date on the playoffs as we move forward. Any additions, corrections, or retractions for you, Tommy? Yeah, a really quick addition. Uh, this was announced, um, 
I guess you're listening to this on on Friday. This was announced on Thursday. Uh, Something that's really cool coming up here in Wichita next weekend, the weekend of November 4th, 5th, and 6th with the Wichita Thunder. If you're a fan of hockey or you're a fan of college hockey, uh, the Midwest College Classic is coming to Wichita next weekend, hosted by the Wichita Thunder. It's a weekend of college hockey games featuring four teams, one of which uh, is a local team, the University of Kansas club hockey team will play in that tournament as well as Arizona State, Dallas Baptist, and Drury University are the four teams in the tournament. Uh, The Friday and Saturday games will be at the Wichita Ice Center, and the games on Sunday will be at Interest Bank Arena. And then there are Thunder games on Friday and Sunday that weekend too, so a weekend full of hockey uh, in Wichita should be a lot of fun. One tragic note on our ACRs this week, a Newman University soccer player died on the way back from a soccer match at Arkansas Fort Smith, Austin Matabike dying due to a medical emergency that he suffered on the bus. He died at a Fort Smith, Arkansas hospital. Uh, The full story is available at newmanjets.com. The team is going to finish out the season. There is going to be a moment of silence at the Newman Jets volleyball match. As you're watching this today, that will be at Fugate Gymnasium. They are taking on a Central Missouri team that's been in the top 25 for most of the year, and the Jennies are currently receiving votes. Big game for the Jets, by the way. They need to win at least two out of three this weekend to have a chance to make the MIAA tournament. There will be a moment of silence for Metabike before the game. It's senior day for the Jets, uh, so that was a very, very big loss on the Newman University campus and in the athletic family for the Navy and Red this week. That is our show for this week on the Keeper of the Games podcast. When we come back in November, we will be back to more football and just a little taste of the basketball season to get started with, and so we will see you next month, and I think the clocks will actually be turned back at that point, so we will see you then as we really get into the teeth of the college football season coming up in November. Once again, cogsports.com, CogPod on Twitter. The audio is pretty much everywhere. Google, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, so many other more platforms to get that, and the videos on YouTube. Like, share, and subscribe. really appreciate you watching and listening with us every single week. Tommy, for our beloved audio listeners, where can they find you on Twitter? You can follow me anytime at Tweets from Tommy. I am at B-E-Crips, B-E-C-R-I-P-P-S on Twitter. We'll see you next time on The Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod.